This is Kaylee, Jenny, and Amanda. We're betrayal trauma therapists experiencing betrayal trauma, and we are not the experts. <laughs> I don't know how to do it when it's recording. <laughs> it's a topic, and then just okay. What they do you want to say? We're recording. <laughs> Lust. It's a topic. Um, it just is because yeah, people feel lots of different ways about it, and you know the definitions are even all over the map. And okay, stop talking. No, you're good. I was going to say, oh. like, that's actually where I was going to start is like the white book. Oh, are we recording? About... Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like going to pause myself. Nope, no, we're good. Gonna... I thought we weren't recording. Okay. No, so I was going to say that like the white book does have a definition of lust. Yeah. Um, as a part of like, you're not sober if you're lusting, right? But it's a progressive victory. So if you, I guess you can be sober, but you're working on a progressive victory over lust. So like, I guess it, that's the part where I think things start feeling really fuzzy, and then that gets really anxiety-producing for the but women we gotta that back I work it up, with. What is lust? Like, I think we got to back it up, and we got to we got to even ask that question. Yeah, no, that's a great question because it does have like a religious connotation, like a Christian connotation, a moral uh-huh. morality to it. Yeah, and would we would we say it's the same thing as objectification? Kind of like. Well, I don't know. Person? So, desire. One, I mean, here's some cinnamon, synonyms, right? Cinnamon. Synonyms. I could never say that word along with cinnamon. Synonyms. So, it's a, it's a collection of cinnamons and cinnamon. It's a combination. <laughs> but yeah, like, okay, let's think. Lust, oh, Amanda, think it seems like desire. you have a, de- a definition for I us. have, okay, I don't know if it's a definition, but. What has jived with me the most um, is the concept that we can lust over anything, not just sex. We can lust for food. We can lust for power. We can lust for control. um, We can lust for Mm. money. And um, all of those are dangerous, you know, Mm -hmm. and unhealthy. And one way that sex addicts lust is through sex, but they also lust in many other ways too. And in their recovery, they're having to address that. Hopefully if they can, if they can get to that point, which um, sometimes they don't even get that far, you know, but say they get sober, then they would start looking at other character weaknesses where they're lusting for other things. Anyway, so, so it's like kind of obsession? like so it's okay like, so so like then a driving force to with pain? that the thing that's jived with me the most which is in a book called unwanted um is that lust is the desire to be filled i might be totally quoting that wrong but i but that <sighs> That concept really yeah, stood out to me. Lust is the desire to be filled. Yes. And he describes it in the context mm. of childhood trauma or neglect um, or rigid parents. Anyway, he goes through. It's an amazing book. The best book I've read on sexual addiction. Um, so, so, yeah, he, he kind of goes through family systems and um, whatever system you grew up in. But, but yeah, I loved that, that lust is the desire to be filled. And so it's not always, um, it has this such a negative connotation, but a lot of times it's coming from trauma 
but then we unhealthily fill, fill, fill because we're, uh, we're on empty basically, you know, so and then if we bring in the 12 steps too, it would be God's not at, or our higher power is not at our center. So we're running on empty constantly. We want something to fill us up and make us feel whole. So we lust, lust, lust. All I can think of is this. I want to be filled with Oreos. <laughs> and my childhood trauma is I was not fed. <laughs> and so here I am <laughs> wanting to fill myself with Oreos, lusting after Oreos. <sighs> and I need to find yeah. a new center. Is this a true story? Are you saying that? <laughs> yeah, is this is. real? Okay. <laughs> yeah. This is real. Jenny loves <laughs> Oreos. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So if lusting after Oreos was hurting you and other people, it would be, it would be really problematic. Mm -hmm. It could be. Like my workaholism. <laughs> and then I just <laughs> feel angsty like I did today, right? Like I didn't have something to fill my hole. And so I was always like, oh my gosh, I, I have something I need to do. I was lusting after something to do, to feel productive, to accomplish oh. something. And so That's a really so interesting definition. I think it helps take away the shame, you and know, that like even. lust equals bad you're, or... you're bad or something. It's just, you know, no, a you're just pervy. trying to fill yourself. Yeah, like a, a pervy, yeah. 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 But it's just like, like oh, yeah, we all idea. do that. Well, and lust. it also makes lust a choice too. So, yeah, that's a because lot less you can choose. Um, other healthy things yeah and then there's also the piece of like if I have these childhood wounds then that needs to be nurtured too yes. right mm -hmm. so here's a question um hopefully we're not deviating too much because I love that um but my question is this so this came up today in a in a free class that Jenny and I were doing and it was kind of this idea of so if if the betrayed partner now understands this, like, okay, so my, my husband, the boyfriend is lusting and lusting after sex. And I'm now understanding a little bit better that I do that too. And then it's tied to his childhood trauma. What is she supposed to do with that? Like, is that supposed to help her feel better or? <laughs> it's an explanation right yeah I mean, information is good yeah information is good don't get me wrong but i mean because ultimately, can, I, can i just right? say too like oh go ahead am i just a little annoyed that it always has to be tied to some kind of childhood trauma you know like <laughs> are you let's talk about that <laughs> I am. sometimes i'm kind of like okay so <laughs> uh. well and i think they were <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it, it is, right? It is. And, you know, there's a, as a therapist, we want to honor that piece. But as a betrayed yeah. partner, it's kind of like, okay, but so was I, and I didn't cheat on you. So, right. Right. So then, right. Like, and we can even do a full disclosure and be like, oh, I can see how this big trauma and running into pornography matched up perfectly and that makes sense there was this perfect storm and usually those are kind of the stories we hear right or this childhood sexual abuse or whatever came mm -hmm. in and it makes sense but it's still this part of like 
I think but it I gets annoying because you, it good. starts to sound like an excuse and a reason and, oh, you know, almost sometimes the sex addiction language sounds like, oh, he's sick, she's sick, whatever it might be. So there's an excuse for it. And I think sometimes people feel that. People feel that sense of like, oh, it's pathologized. Now infidelity is a, a medical problem. Well... <laughs> I'm just, I'm just playing the, <laughs> the devil's advocate. I think of a quote from Sorry, SNL. the look on your faces was really good. No, no. <laughs> I like it. I like the discussion. I just disagree. <laughs> that's okay. That's what, that's what I'm bringing to the table. Good. The yes. Yeah. Go. Yeah. I, the, the, the quote from the SNL book comes to me that um, as the betrayed spouse, we believe they are, they are sick people, not bad people. And that actually has brought a ton of healing for me because then I'm, I can have empathy. I can have some forgiveness because I'm working with a human being who's been through stuff, changes not, frame, not bad stuff. Like um, my husband has not been through a major childhood trauma. Sometimes I wish he had. I've said this before. Like, I wish you were like terribly abused, you know, to <laughs> then it would then make sense. It could make it sense. Make like, I could sense. be like, oh, yeah. poor guy, you know. Yeah, we kind of had to dig too. <laughs> he's just stuck, you know. But yeah. like, it's the little things that, yes, are traumatic to us too. Like, you know, it could be as simple as I've had lots of guys, oh, I moved my whole growing up I moved eight times or something and had to make new friends every time and so loneliness and not belonging um pair that with like parents who worked a lot and were really busy but very loving you know like it could be as simple as that where you learn okay that lust something needs to fill me I'm lonely I'm alone I have um low nurture or just my parents aren't that available and so i think that helps the betrayed spouse a lot often because because she loves him she loves him we don't we can't forget that most (laughs) of the time sometimes it's like yeah that was was gone a long time ago (laughs) depends on when they come in Yeah. I was going to add to that because I've had that question many times by, by partners coming Mm -hmm. in who've been to Essanon or who'd listened to podcasts and felt that same way. Like, are you kidding me? So basically you're telling me, okay, this wasn't his fault. And somehow, you know, we should just say like, well, you couldn't make choices and then I'll feel better about that. Um, and the analogy that I use is I'll use it, I say, okay, well, if we're going to call it an, um, you know, a sickness, which we actually can by the definition of, of, you know, disease, but, um, but let's, let's compare it to diabetes. That's how I compare it. So I'm like, okay, let's say someone gets type two diabetes. They had it in their genetics. Um, they made certain choices in their life and certain situations came about that then they got type two diabetes. And now they have all of these symptoms that come from it, right? That could potentially influence their relationship with their families. Um, For example, if they don't manage their diabetes well, they can have seizures. And people with type 2 diabetes who don't manage their symptoms well are going to have big mood swings. 
and um, they might have to have a lot of procedures done that's going to take up a lot of, that can influence their family in big ways. And so what I say is, do you feel like if, if I was the wife of someone with type two diabetes, do I, have to, do I have to spend a whole bunch of time watching them eat box full and box full of donuts and not taking their insulin? Wouldn't that be crazy making for me? And we're taking out the personalization of the sex addiction, which obviously feels like a full on attack on the self to the betrayed. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to compare them equally, obviously, but th that's kind of how I look at it is like, okay, cool. Basically. What okay, kind so of have... pushbacks do you get on that analogy when you say that, when you share that? Cause I've heard that uh... one before mostly that like well it's not the same right because they're cheating on mm -hmm. you they're betraying you mm -hmm. so there's an attachment wound and that's happening to me and I, and I get that I'm not trying to make the analogy like tit for tat but that's that's kind of the only way that I can kind of find myself like okay I can get behind this analogy a little better so let me like, ask another question so kind of to what both of you are saying and Amanda said, you know, it's like, so there's kind of like a morality sometimes behind those choice, the sexual choices and looking at it from a framework of this is a, an illness, a sickness, it takes the morality out of it. But are those the only two choices that we have to look at it from? Do you see what I'm saying? What other, what other choices are out there? Because I can't imagine it's just, I'm going to look at this as, you know, you lied, and that's a moral, you know, or, or you cheated and that's a moral issue, or you've got this sickness, illness that you're dealing with. And that does take, you know, give some cushion to the situation. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't, cause I wouldn't say I'm all in on either of them. Um, yeah. And I, I, like and I guess, more. well, I guess that's the part that I, the one, and I wouldn't say I'm hundred percent the diabetes analogy, but the reason why I should keep, I should start calling it diabetes so that when my husband listens to this, he the cringes diabetes. because diabetes <laughs> versus diabetes. It kills him. He's like, that's not a diagnosis He's in the <laughs> medical world. Um, anyway, so, so, but I'm not all in on it either. I like the concept though, that it's not an excuse for better choices. It's more like, Hey, well now we know what we're dealing with. Like now we kind of have a basis of understanding. Like we kind of know where it came from. We kind of know, what it looks like now but now you gotta make some choices about like there's still the the choice part of it right yeah i i see it the same like in my own betrayal trauma recovery that's my responsibility and so in my therapy what i've had to do in my own personal therapy what i've had to do is look at okay this alone is super traumatic. He did this and that alone would be heart-wrenching and traumatic and um, life-altering. But also let's understand what's informing how you're reacting. So let's go even further back to before he even was in your life. And every person needs to be able to do that so they understand the context of what's going on for them now. So I see it the same as for the addict. Let's understand the context, but your recovery is still your responsibility. It's not an excuse, but it can probably help you heal to understand, oh. Like be able this. to tell the whole story start to finish rather than yes. just like one chapter in the middle. 
Right. And well, the, and the betrayed question. spouse is focused on the one chapter. Like you relapsed yesterday. Uh-huh. And if you, and if you just focus on that, like if you as the therapist are doing crisis management every time, like, okay, let's get you to not relapse. Okay. Let's get you to not relapse. You are, they're not going to heal. They need to go. They need to understand the trauma that informs it, even if it's, you know, and not as an excuse, but just, I mean, that's the meat. Well, that's I think it builds as a root, change. but yeah. I'm wondering, is there more? I mean, from, I'm just, cause I think we're talking in kind of a narrow way. Like, I feel like there's, okay, yes, crisis. Okay. Yes. Trauma. Okay. Yes. Infidelity or cheating or porn or whatever it might be, you know, what's beyond. Cause I, it seems to me like we kind of get, um, maybe we're, our focuses are so narrow that we don't see that there's more. Cause like I said, that's, we're giving, we're talking about two options. Either yeah. it's a moral issue or, you know, well, this medical end of it. it. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you're talking and thinking, Jenny, are there any things that are coming to mind for you that that's different in terms of understanding Actually, no, that's loss? why I want to talk to you guys about it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I think I think that's a great a lot about this actually. I mean, I think that's a great question, just in general, and then also as we talk about definitions and loss, um, because of course, both you know, all three of us are informed by our own experience, but and then also by our own training, um, which ultimately, right, when we try to take the human experience and boil it down to a theory or whatever, it's going to become really simplified and really narrow. And so... Well, and not all cheating is, is compulsive, well, Addiction-related, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Or, right, or not, not even not, not all porn viewing maybe is addiction-related. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know all that, but that's kind of one thing I'm thinking is there's so many veins to this issue. Totally. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a good point. Um, You know, I've worked with clients where he cheated um, 10 years into the marriage and 20 years later, they're getting a divorce and her betrayal trauma, you know, he cheated the the one time it wasn't addiction related. And uh, 20 years later, you know, her betrayal trauma is so sky high that the marriage has been completely sabotaged and just burned to the mm-hmm. ground out of fight, flight, or freeze mode, you know? And so totally, I mean, I don't think every, every Well, maybe Amanda's definition is, does kind of, I, I mean, I think that was cool when she said that because all of a sudden we were all like, oh, we had all these ideas before we started the podcast and then she shared her definition. We kind of all felt this like calm, like, because even in this thing that you're talking about where you're saying oh you know he had a you know a non-addiction related you know affair or cheating or whatever it was and then 20 years later it it just the relationship can't sustain what's happened um you know i almost am like okay cheating might have not have been the last part that was trying to be filled Mm -hmm. right it might have just been like a piece of it Right. for 10 years or even before that that definition does seem to kind of arch across all of that what's trying to be filled for both partners mm-hmm. 
one thing that might feel like middle ground between the morality and the sickness. I don't know if this is kind of what you're going for, but, but what I'm thinking of is just, just unhealthy coping (laughs) bottom line. Like (laughs) that's all it is. It's unhealthy coping, whether it's a sickness that's um, compulsive or whether it's one time, what a one time affair, you know, there's something wrong with how we're coping with life when we turn to unhealthy sources. So, well, why did help we were, people? Yeah, you know, and people we all do that, married, and right? we can all empathize or, with unhealthily coping because uh-huh, you have Oreos, Oreos right? <laughs> <laughs> I have other things. Kaylee has her things, um, and luckily you know the the hard part is some things are way more damaging than others and and I'm and and that sounds really I don't know kind of even as I'm saying it I'm like is that really whitewashing it too much because I do believe in in the brain addiction Mm -hmm. cycle that there really is a chemical um yeah cycle there thing that happens I mean there's more severe yeah yeah, but but still, you know, I, every addict I've ever worked with, we could boil it down to that. They're not a good or a bad person. They're just um, in pain and they don't know how to deal with their pain or their shame. Maybe because they were never taught. Maybe because of trauma. And they're still mm-hmm. in, a, in a trauma response mm-hmm. 10 years, 20 years later. Maybe because they're mm-hmm. choosing not to. Maybe they have all the tools. <laughs> they have all the tools, but they're turning to unhealthy coping. They're choosing not to. Maybe because yeah. their their self development is stunted. Maybe right. because I mean, there's a which can all yeah be explained by trauma. Yeah, yeah, totally. So about lust, <laughs> really like took a side rail. We always do, <laughs> don't we? Always people That's are probably like, "This is a roller coaster." <laughs> <laughs> I think the hard thing, let me just say this about to maybe bring us back to the lust idea. Cause I think what's hard maybe about partnerships where, you know, one partner might have this issue lusting after, you know, random people in the street or whatever the deal is there is that the, the non-lusting partner notices it and sees it and experiences it. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the pain point for couples trying to recover or trying to work through that, that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. You know, how many times is a couple come in and, and, you know, maybe one of the partners is just saying, Oh, we were at Chick-fil-A and you were looking and you just couldn't stop looking and you kept looking and, and I called you out on it and you said no. And then, and then, you know, they're both triggered. I feel, you know, kind of this both triggery response happens where they, kind of gridlock a little. Yeah, Mm. exactly. So it's kind of like, well, we can boil down everything down to be like, okay, well, he's doing that partly out of habit, partly out of compulsion, and partly out of like this underlying childhood trauma and all that stuff we just talked about filling a hole. But the reality is she's at Chick-fil-A watching her husband stare at a 20-year-old waitress. And, you know, in that moment of trauma, there's this hypervigilance, you know, a big one of hypervigilance I hear is like, I, I watch his eyes wherever we go. Like I'm constantly watching where his eyes go. And the therapists say, well, stop. <laughs> That's kind of the answer is like, we'll stop doing it. It's like, 
Okay. I can't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, okay. So if we go to what's going to help, yeah, stop doing that. But that's not benefiting you. But I mean, there's that. It's just so painful. And then there's the gaslighting that goes along with it. And maybe yeah, the that might feel like a strong it. word to use. But I really think a lot of gaslighting can go in the lust realm because there's the like, well, I'm sober, so but she's still sensing the emotional mm-hmm. disconnect. She's still sensing that not a safe. And that's really can be a place where shame or um, gaslighting can get really confusing and screw with your intuition because maybe there really is sobriety and you kind of go, yeah, I think there's sobriety here. However we word that, you know, if you call it sobriety or not, but, but are, are they and progressive victory over less? Like, what does that mean? And um, I don't know. It's hard. Um, yeah, even in session, a lot of people want it, want a perfect definition of what's a trigger, what's mm-hmm. a slip, what's lust, what's mm-hmm. noticing, what's yeah. objectifying, right? And um, man, it's so hard to it's so hard. give an overall <laughs> rule for everyone. I really believe, but this is where it gets tricky because I also know that addicts manipulate and (laughs) minimize and justify Mm -hmm. and have all the denial mechanisms in their back pocket that they've practiced throughout life um because that's part of the addiction and so the splitting hairs right so yeah if you give all the definitions now there's something to split well and, and so what i usually really promote is that it is so personal and individual and even i you know, a guy will tell me, okay, so this happened. So what was it? And even, even me listening, I could guess like, "Mm, that sounds like, that sounds like active lust, you know, or that's, that's definitely a slip. And sometimes it's easy to define a slip or something, but I can't define, were you triggered or were you not? Mm -hmm. I can't say that for you. So if you're in, in recovery, um, in a type of recovery where you are actually honest and accountable and honestly checking yourself and checking with your higher power or check talking with your sponsor or, you know, um, journaling and really (coughs) being mindful, then I trust that you are going to know when you're triggered and when you're not. Um, Always being aware of the possibility that you could be denying and minimizing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and, and that's hard because because there's that nobody, I don't feel like I can you got to be in someone. charge of yourself. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. It's, it's I have to be in charge of myself. <laughs> and you, you know, know the other thing too. Me? <laughs> I know, I know. No, you got to be in charge of yourself. And I think this is where we, you know, I, uh, you know, I think this is something that I say a lot, but I feel a lot is, really important is you've got to get to know yourself. You've got to understand how your body feels. You've got to understand your own body's language. You've got to understand your mind, your heart, your gut. You've got to know yourself. You've got to hang on to yourself. And I think that's, you know, important for what you're even talking about, because you're right. It's a, it's, they do want a definition, but the definition is it's in you, baby. (laughs) You get to be responsible for you. Good luck. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I think when he does the work, like you're talking about starting to come into oneself and into the present and into what we talk about a lot in our class, which is reality, and to just be honest, like honest with reality, like in reality, I lust all the time. In reality, I have problems. And when he's able to step fully into it, not just like one foot or, you know, half, half, even if he's still lusting kind of a lot, if he's being honest with himself and being present and honest with her, there really is a felt sense shift for her. Like, like even if he's still lusting or even if he's still having slips, if he's honest and present, not just we think of honesty as like telling the truth. But I think honesty is more than that, right? It's just sitting in the reality and the present and going, this is what's really happening inside of me mm-hmm. and outside of me. And when there's that true honesty going on, and then it's spoken especially, but there's that felt sense that shifts that anxiety from, I have to watch his eyes all the time to, yeah, I can trust him to be honest with himself. And so he'll call himself and that responsibility of monitoring himself isn't on me anymore. And then that like hypervigilance decreases. I mean, that's a that's something we talked about, like you're saying in our free class, which I guess I'll plug right now. We have a free class. So yeah. Maybe there's maybe there's gonna be a link around or something like that. But you know, we that's that transferring of the weight or the burden of transparency from from the betrayed shoulders to the betrayers. And they're able to take that responsibility on that, that burden on themselves. And it actually doesn't even feel like a burden when you become, you know, centered with yourself and clear and more aware of yourself. There's some freedom mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. We hope that episode was helpful for you. And if it was, please like, share, or comment. We want to remind you that this is not a replacement for therapy, just a helpful resource to help you feel human.